Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, Tim Wright here, along with Dr. Michael Gurian for another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. And we've got a really good topic once again for you today. This comes to us from our uh, Wonder of Parenting Facebook group, and it's on phobias, things that kids are afraid of, and of course we as adults are afraid of. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing from Michael on this one, uh, as I've got grandchildren who've got various phobias probably inherited from their grandfather. And so a lot to talk about today. Michael, it's good to have you with us. Great to be with you. Thank you for having me. And uh, Michael, before we start, uh, tell us a little bit about the Forge School, one of our uh, great sponsors for this program. Yes, the Forge School's in Benton, Tennessee, out in rural Tennessee on 55 acres right on a river. Great staff. It's residential treatment for boys 14 to 17. So boys who are struggling, boys who are having issues, um, uh, uh, it's uh, what they call short term now, so it could be six weeks to maybe three months. Um, and I, I was just out there actually last week working with them, and they were saying that you know that it turns out most insurance pays for them, and so that's really could be a boon for parents. So, so um, fourteen to seventeen year old boys, residential treatment, uh, uh, the Forge School. If you go to wonderparenting.com, just click Forge, and it'll send you there. You can also find information uh, on wonderofparenting.com on Dr. Greg Jantz and uh, our friends up there at the Center of Place of Hope in the Seattle area, and particularly today because we're talking about phobias and other scary things. Greg has some great resources out there on these kinds of issues um, that deal uh, not just with phobias, but broadly speaking, stress, anxiety, other issues as well, and his clinic. Uh, might be a great resource for you uh, at some time in the future. So that's the center of place of hope up in the Seattle area. So I mentioned that uh, the question we're taking today is from our Wonder of Parenting Facebook group. And if you're not on there yet, uh, you just do a little search in Facebook for Wonder of Parenting. You hit the join button, and then I'll let you in as soon as I get the notification. And I was telling Michael, we're, we're taking in about... Uh, 10 people a week to 10 new people. We're over a thousand people now. And the great thing about this site is that uh, parents like you are posting questions and parents like you are responding to those questions. Mm -hmm. So it's a wonderful way for us all to share wisdom and experiences that we're having. And I want to give you an example of that today. I'm going to share with you the question and then one of the responses to the question. Uh, and, and what's great about this is it helps broaden our discussion of uh, the topic for today, which is on phobias. So here's the question. The question is, my 12-year-old has recently developed a phobia to needles, particularly around getting the COVID shot. She has seen it on the news so many times by now that she has such a vivid visual. She panics when we attempted to get it. Um, let's see. She started going into fight and then flight mode. I'm not sure how to approach this fear at this point and concerned that her fear is only getting worse each time we try. 
So that's what initiated the conversation. Then there's this one. This is a little longer, but I'm guessing that there are some families out there that have had similar issues to this. Um, This parent says, I'm in a similar boat. My son has played baseball his whole life. This year, he was hit hard and got a big black eye that took forever to go down and was uh, obviously quite painful. He was embarrassed to go anywhere, and when he did, he would wear sunglasses the whole time. Unfortunately, within a month of that happening, he was hit again with the ball, this time on his head. The injury wasn't substantial, but the timing couldn't have been worse. He loved playing the sport. Note the past tense. It's now time for tryouts for next year's travel league, and he is terrified to play. Even though it's mostly the same kids he played with all year, he says they throw the ball way too fast, and he reacts to the ball, and and, and as he reacts to the ball, he's afraid he's going to get hurt again. So after many lengthy talks about why he doesn't want to play, I've discovered that he essentially feels robbed of his love of baseball because of his injury, and he can't get past it. I thought giving him a little extra push by making him do the tryouts would be good because I'm certain he wouldn't get hurt. But now I'm afraid he'll be embarrassed to play with the same kids because he knows how they know how he reacts to the ball. Uh, how does a parent help their child to get past something like this? I feel as though the whole ordeal is somewhat traumatic for him. From a previous episode, I've listened to of the brain science approach to parenting. They say talking about it over and over again helps the kid process what happened, how they feel about it, and then move past it. We've been doing a lot of reliving the moment, talking about his feelings and reactions. Do I just keep up with it and know that there is no magic, no matter how many times we talk about it, uh, until he's able to move past the event? What else can I be doing to help my uh, son love the sport again? So, Mm. Michael, two kind of different scenarios, Mm. both around fears. Um, So just give us your initial responses, and then we can talk specifically about each and then go more broadly. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to shut me up. I have so many thoughts about this. <laughs> Good. Especially with these two. I love how you did this with the two, um, including the responses. Because when I go on there, it's just amazing the wisdom mm-hmm. in, in people. It's just absolutely amazing uh, on that Facebook page. Um, okay. So for the first one, the 12-year-old. Now, we don't know the age of the second one, although I'm guessing it's a similar age. Sure. I'm just yeah, guessing I would say that. I would guess that too. Yeah. So the 12-year-old who has the phobia of, of needles, um, uh, she, uh, let me say a few things about her. One is got to get her and the family off of the news and off of social media. Um, part of the problem we're having where we're just promoting so much fear among our children and so many mental health issues among our children. And, and part of it is because they have access to, to devices uh, that give them access to all of this media and social media, right? And it's it, for her 12-year-old brain, it's just too much. Get her off of that stuff so she doesn't see that stuff anymore and doesn't have to be involved in combating that. So that's one thing everyone everyone can do for every child right now is get them off, off all that because that's where the fear is being promoted. And, and I, I, I want to say generally that I think over the last 10 years and especially in our COVID era, um, we, we, American culture has moved from a culture of resilience to what I would call a culture of fear. Hmm. And a large amount of that, and this especially is impacting children, uh, but adults are very afraid. A large amount of that is because of the constant bombardment of social media. And social media is algorithmically set up to promote fear and to stimulate the fear in the amygdala that's it is how it is set up that is its job so um 
that would be a big number one to say to everyone and specific and specifically to this family in terms of the panic um there are two th i want to say three things there one is if she is having panic attacks that is a clinical condition i would go you know right away and get help uh, talk to a psychiatrist just really really talk to people um who are professionals in that uh, or if she's having anxiety attacks what people might say anxiety attacks okay then let's get her help for that that's going to probably be a little somewhat clinical going to get a professional involved if the panic that we're talking about here is she sees the needle she gets really scared she says i'm not going to do it um uh you know of, of course she is going in fight or flight mode that's absolutely true um and the two choices there are you're going to do it anyway you know because we we need you to do it and you know we'll be right here supporting you you're going to have to fight through this fear um and be resilient and you're going to need to get the shot the other choice is okay you know we'll pull away for now but we are setting a date um, because i'm assuming in this family's values getting the shot is part of their values right so the child needs to participate in those values but the the child you know okay we're not going to do it today we'll come back and we'll do it tomorrow or we'll do it in two days or, or whatever is appropriate with that clinic um uh those are are the options uh i don't it's certainly good to talk about it with her i mean there's, there's no doubt talking is a good thing but at a certain point um they're they're going to you know have to compel her to do it or they're going to you know just not they're just going to say okay uh, she's not going to do it and and my hope would be that they promoted resilience in her um, verbally and via actions, like by them getting the shot, by them showing her other people getting the shot, you know, um, uh, whether it's visual through visual media, which I just scorned, <laughs> sorry, or whether it's, you know, in the family system or whether it's grandma and grandpa getting shots and, you know, showing the modeling or having them talk to her. Um, I, I think that's preferable and then set a date and then she gets the shot. But if it's, if it's, you know, leading her into such substantial anxiety that that anxiety is becoming clinical, then, you know, they'll have to put this off for six months or a year. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So let's just stay with her and then tell yeah. me when you want me to move to the next one. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's some really good points there. Um, so... Uh, I know that there's a, for lack of a better word, desensitization therapy. Uh, are there ways, and you, I think you mentioned a little bit there, watching maybe mom or dad or grandma, grandpa getting the shot. Um, how about setting up if they can find a friend who's a nurse or a doctor and just being able to be there and, and hold the, a syringe and, and see it and touch it, not poke herself with it, but mm. to at least have some exposure to the clinic itself where she's going to get the shot 
what a, the needle looks like, um, and uh, do those kinds of things, can those be helpful? Great, great ideas, yeah. Yeah, if this family system has anyone who's in healthcare and who can kind of be with her and walk her through it and take her, like you say, take her to these clinics or, or take her to the hospital, you know, all of that would be great. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. And having her hold a needle and those sorts of things with supervision, of course, is really great and kind of getting her into the science of it and the medicine of it. Uh, you know, getting her distracted from her, this thing's going to go in my arm, I'm afraid, and getting her distracted over into uh, maybe mm. science or other interest areas, mm -hmm. uh, contextualizing it there also could help. And so that nurse or that person in the family could help with that. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, those of us who've had uh, the shots or other shots for that matter, um, th th it's such a, it's a second, right? It's a second. It's that buildup of fear mm -hmm. uh, that it's the fear itself that becomes the issue, not the shot. And uh, I remember, you know, as I, as I was going through a lot of my own behavioral stuff with uh, my anxiety issues, the one thing I learned over and over again is at some point, you got to face the fear and step through it. And when you step through it, it goes away because it's not real. But man, communicating that to a 12-year-old, uh, you know, I was a 40, 50-year-old guy trying to figure that out. Communicating that to a 12-year-old can sometimes be pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I, and yet I think um, stepping away from this specific example for a moment, mm -hmm. um, but jumping off of it, I, you know, you are, you are absolutely right. I mean, it is in the end, in the end, we do have to do the things that we're afraid of. Um, uh, for our psychological growth, for our core yep. self growth, um, in order to, and actually also in order to manage our anxiety and set ourselves on new paths and dealing with our own anxiety, we do need to go through the undergrowth, you know, and come out the other side. And that includes accepting some pain. And especially with the, some of that pain is psychological, but in this case, it's a needle. So, so it's the physical and then the psychological for her is wrapped around that. Um, that, that is her future, you know, right? I mean, that is, mm -hmm. that is the message we as parents do have to give her yep. and give our kids is that resilience and the gains and the value gains and, you know, uh, living a better future because you're vaccinated and all of those things are just really of more value than having this fear and um and if if she if she and every child like her right now if it's possible again bracketing out if she's having panic attacks or something clinical we got to deal with that but yep. bracketing that out um uh if everyone who has a child going through any one of these fears right now can can focus on the resilience with these kids mm -hmm. uh it is it is better for them and um i of course you know, if the doctor ends up saying to this family she shouldn't get the shot, then, you know, defer to that. But in general, it is better to be building resilience in kids than to be thinking, well, my child's afraid. Mm -hmm. And so because my child's afraid, I I'm traumatizing my child or my child is being traumatized in some clinical way. Um, the fear is not really the trauma, right? This is really important for all of us to remember. Being afraid of something is not in itself the trauma that rewires our brain or the trauma that we get worried about. That is not the abuse trauma, you know, that we that we want to protect our kids from. Um, having fear is really, really normal, mm -hmm. and um, and part of our job as parents is to is to push them through to resilience, 
and to compel it when it's medically good, you know, to compel resilience. So that's why I, my gut instinct is that if, if this family really needs her to get the shot, which you and I are both really big supporters of the vaccine yep. in order to get our country back. So if our, if they've decided this, then I, I would support them in, in getting all this other help that you wonderfully described, getting four or mm-hmm. five other people involved in modeling and in, in talking. And, and then at a certain point saying, you know, that's it. You're getting the shot. (laughs) You're going to be resilient because that's what we are in this family. We are resilient. So here we go. So I'm not being flippant. I think it's I think it is a crucial part of parenting. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, what you're saying is that uh, if we don't teach our kids resilience, if we don't teach our kids to step into their fears, that first fear they don't step into leads to a second fear and a third fear. And we don't want to create that environment where we just keep stepping away from fear rather than into it. Uh, and, and getting through to the other side, for those of us who've stepped through fears, man, it feels great. Oh, um, yeah. You just feel so good about yourself. And I know, I, and, and you, you know, we're very cautious about the fear-based social media, but there are some uh, videos that have been made by people like this young girl who are scared to death of that shot, and they've mm-hmm. gone and gotten the shot as a way of saying you have nothing to be afraid of, and maybe that might be helpful mm, for her to Find watch those, as well. yeah. Okay, yeah. there's a good use of social media. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Find, find those, right. All right, so let's, so let's move then, uh, and I'm sure we'll come back to this in, in a bit, but let's move now to this young boy who um, has had two injuries in baseball that have uh, sort of been seared into his brain now, and have made him a bit afraid, understandably so. I, I get that. As a guy who fell off his bike and broke his shoulder, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are certain things that you think, I don't want that to happen again. Um, so how, how would you handle this situation for a boy who still loves baseball but is afraid to play it now because of these two injuries? Yeah, I, some of the same things are going to imply, although, apply, although in this case, I I have an in, kind of I've been processing and I have sort of an interesting take on it. I mean I I'm going back to raising my own kids and and their injuries and and uh, and there's another side to it which is maybe he's getting the signal. I mean this is something that sometimes we we think well if I just keep getting hurt doing this is the signal that I should not be playing this ah. you know <laughs> and and so I do want to incorporate that in my answer and say that um, if it, I, I do think the stuff applies in terms of wanting him to fight through the fear. And I put this in a slightly different category than the girl who won't um, get vaccinated because um, this has happened to him twice. And then yep. he keeps, you know, whatever is his young and tender age, 10, 11, 12, whatever it is, it is really natural for when the ball comes to him as hurt as he has been by it, for him to kind of duck it. And then then he's got all that social shame and embarrassment. And when you compound that on there, um, you know, okay, I think we are down to two choices. I mean, and I don't think talking, the third choice is keep talking about it. I, I think there's that the talking in this case, uh, not that it's bad, it's great, but it might be creating more rumination loop for him. So mm-hmm. so he just keeps ruminating on it. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I, I think it might be that the decision just has to get made. He, If he's going to stop, if the embarrassment level is too high and this is going to be creating too much trauma for him, then he stops baseball, but let's get him into something else, right? So let's not stop baseball, but not be doing something else and just go play video games. So if they do stop baseball, which I actually think in this case is an option, um, 
they know his trauma level and and uh, you know if he can't push through it then they've got potential physical trauma and constant social trauma and so they're gonna have to remove that right they're gonna have to say okay all right we'll follow the child here right the Maria Montessori beautiful saying we'll follow the child and the child is saying I don't want to do this we won't do this but let's put him in something else so those are the choices either make him do it and see if that works uh, or measure out how much trauma there is and say, okay, maybe not, and move him into another sport. That's kind of my gut instinct. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So I, I know that this is not uncommon for athletes and even professional athletes in every sport who have experienced some sort of trauma that gives them, uh, this is a sports term, the yips, so to speak, where right. they just can't. Uh, they can't overcome that, and there are there are sports therapists who help them work through that. Have you worked with any of those kinds of folks before? Yeah, yeah, and mainly I've worked with adults, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is a young child. Um, with adults, there is a necessity, right? Because they're professional athletes, right. and so they're though it's it is they have to keep doing it, and so then we have to get at their anxiety in other ways. Um, and then, as you say, there are people who specialize. I don't specialize, but there are people who specialize with these professional athletes. For a child, for a child, I, I'm, you know, I'm. I think it's a little more vague on whether we would force him through this. Mm-hmm. Um, just be. I, I think for him, because he's not a professional athlete, he doesn't have to do it. To some extent, we as parents are now in the job of getting together, um, mom, dad you know, family system, grandma, grandpa, let's get more people involved, teachers, coaches, getting everyone involved, having a meeting and saying, okay, you know, is this, is this unnecessary trauma because he really could be doing some something else? Should we move him into that? And that's the difference, I think, with the adult. Yep. Is that he's yep. a child. Yeah, and, you know, it's understandable for this, this guy. Um, and, you know, part of our American psyche is, well, you fall off the bike, you get back up again. And I think what you're saying here is, well, that's that can be good, but there are other factors involved that we want to look at when it comes to a child. Yeah, I, I, you know me. I mean, I'm all into resilience. If I'm yep. the parents, I'm certainly going to keep saying, to, I'm going to keep saying to this child, get back in there. Absolutely. Yep. But the hilarious, you know, the sad, hilarious, funny, sad, hilarious, painful thing here is that. He got right back up, you know, he went yeah, right back in there he did, he got and then he again. got whapped again. And, you know, yeah. you get hit hard on the head. Mm-hmm. That's even different than 
um, you know, than a leg or a knee or something. I mean, those yep. are all painful. But, you know, your head is, I can see, I can feel his mind going, okay, mm-hmm. now I got hit so hard in my head. You mm-hmm. know, is this the right sport for me? And if if he's, if when, when the parents are talking to him and that's the kind of thing he's saying, then that's sort of what I would listen to because yep. that's that's like I'm a little concerned maybe this isn't the sport for me but I'm willing to go do something else you know I'm not just gonna cower um and and so that's you know those are two different things um uh, if he were if he were just gonna I'm gonna cower you know and have no bravery no strength no resilience um and that's my message to my parents if that's the case, then no, I would say, okay, no, let's keep trying to have him involved in the sport. Um, but I think if he's, I just suspect if he's at this level of embarrassment and if, and her instinct is that he is, if that, if he's at this level of embarrassment this much, I certainly put him into practice, certainly see if it works, you know? I mean, by the time this airs, I'm sure they have, that they've put him in there and they'll know whether this has worked or not, or whether he's even further traumatized. If, if they put him back in there and yet again, you know, he, he's like, no, then I kind of would listen to him and then move him over to something else. So as long as I've, I've got you on here and it's free of charge, I'll, I'm going to do a little therapy for my grandkids then. Mm. So I've got, I've got two grandkids, and this is real normal, I know. They're afraid to sleep by themselves in their bedrooms at night. Uh, there are things creeping around in their room. There are monsters under the bed. How do you, you know, that's one of uh, probably a fairly normal phobia for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, how how do you as parents handle, say, that kind of phobia and, and slowly get your kids built build up that sleeping resilience to stay in their own room? What, and remind me, which I know you have a number of grandkids. Which ages yep. are these? Uh, well, these would be um, six. Yeah, six. I have a six and seven-year-old. Six and seven. Okay. Yep. Um well, it is normal, and and um, uh, it will pass, right? I mean, it, it will. Everyone knows it will pass, um, but of course, it's difficult while it's happening that they're voicing this. So, so they can. I mean, I, I don't think there's any problem with them sleeping with each other, uh, with once in a while if the parents, you know, <laughs> have have the energy, letting them sleep with the parents, um, letting them sleep with a sibling. I, those things really don't harm the child. The child doesn't have to every single night be screaming. Um, you know, they can find that comfort. And then the next night, they sleep alone in their own room. And then, you know, the next night, oh, they sleep with their sibling or they sleep with a parent. Then it's three nights alone in their room and one night, you know, with the the parent or the siblings, um, then it's four nights. And, and meanwhile, hopefully they're sleeping. The pet can sleep with them. If there's a pet that, that help often can help like a dog. If they're sleeping with a dog that can help them not be as scared, uh, because it is normal. The brain is just exploding and it's seeing every negative possibility. Mm. Um, and the aloneness is scary. And, um, but it should not last. How long has it lasted with these two? In uh, your- probably most of their lives. One of them has scary dreams every night, and that's part of it for him. And the other is just kind of, I think for the other, it's not so much being afraid to sleep alone. It's just kind of, I like being with mom and dad, <laughs> you know? So um, it's sort of that social, I don't I don't like being alone. I like being with people. Mm-hmm. And are these two, they're in the same no, family? Or no, are they separate fa- families? Yep, yeah, separate they're from, families. from Alicia. And, and okay, like, yep. so yeah, so, so they're not going to be able to see with each other, of course. Um, 
Well, the one where they just want to sleep with mom and dad, that's going to ultimately be up to mom and dad. But at this age, six and seven, yeah, yeah, this is you know pretty common age to say, okay, um, we sh- you should sleep alone. But we we should remember too. It's worth remembering too that all of our family histories, if we could go back enough generations, um, you know, people really didn't sleep alone. Children right. really didn't sleep alone. This thing of sleeping alone is kind of a new thing. F- human beings are sort of pack animals, you know? And so that's why kids wanting to sleep with other kids is really kind of fits our biology better in a way than than sleeping alone. And so that's why I'm sort of really patient with it. The one who, uh, but it sounds like that one could sleep alone just because it's mm-hmm. really just about being with mom and dad. The one who's really scared and having all those imaginings um, is there another sibling in that house that could? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's, does he that's sleep helped. or she sleep with the other sibling? Yeah, that's helped. They they put the two brothers. Uh, this is a boy. They put the two brothers in bunk beds in the same room. So that helps. There you go. Uh, yep. You know. Yep. Yep. Because we are pack animals. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so as you were talking, and I think you've kind of answered this question, but I, I think about. Because um, we we hear this all the time, kids scared to sleep by themselves, want to sleep with mom and dad or brother. Are there some uh, some common denominators uh, for these sleep phobias? Recognizing that every child is different and the different things going on, but are there some? You mentioned like uh, this uh, feeling alone that that seems to be fairly mm-hmm. normal for kids. We're pack animals, so so there are there tend to be some some things that kids share in common when it comes to learning how to sleep by themselves. It sounds mm. like, well, yeah. And these days, one common denominator has to do with what what are they doing. What have they been doing an hour or two hours before bed? Mm. Like mm. if they're uh, if they're watching something, right? Mm-hmm. They're watching TV or something, or they're playing a video game. You, these guys are pretty young for that, but you know what I mean. There's if they're intaking something that is scary, then that of course just increases the right. possibility they'll be scared when they sleep. Another thing is what are they eating? Mm-hmm. People often don't, don't think about this, but like, have, did they just have a whole bunch of food, you know, yeah. just before they went to bed? Well, all of that actually is moving through the brain and it, it's it's going to be stimulating the brain. It'd be better for them to not have a lot to eat right before they go to bed. Um, I mean, that's just a little kind of gut brain thing. Um, uh, the aloneness is one, the, the um, whatever fears they have as human beings, right, just they could have fears as little six mm-hmm. and seven years old, seven year olds. That's coming through sleep. And it's part of, I guess the last thing I'll say that's neat to think about is that actually if a lot of if that stuff's coming through sleep, a lot of it's getting processed in yep. dreams and nightmares. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that these kids are not, you know, resilient, strong kids. Right. If, if it gets to where, wow, you know, the parent says, wow, you know, this kind of nightmarish, always scared bed thing actually is also who they are in life you know mm-hmm. that's when i would worry about it i would go yeah. okay wait a minute we gotta they're too scared um but often the dreams and the nightmares are processing it and it gets out of their systems and then they go back to their day the next day and they're quite vibrant so that's what we would hope yeah yeah boy after my dreams last night i'm wondering what i'm processing Whatever oh, it is, you have bad dreams. <laughs> it's very weird. Not not bad dreams, just weird dreams. So weird that dreams, could be yeah. uh, you know turning sixty something. So, uh, so Michael, this is this has been so helpful, and I know he, every child has some adventure with a phobia, right? And these oh, are the yeah. things that are just helpful for parents. So it's been very very good. I appreciate it so much from you. Thank you. Mm, thank you. 
And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back with you next time. Remember to go to wonderofparenting.com for all the information, uh, resources that we have for you, and then our Wonder of Parenting Facebook page. And we'd love to have you join us in that group. Thanks, everyone. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.